0: <laughs> From the PSIASI satellite studios in Hood River, Oregon. I'm George Thomas, the guest of Angelo and David. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome,
1: George. Yeah, welcome, George. We are super excited. Yes, we have George Thomas, the uh, the host of our PSA ASI first chair and some other podcasts and lots of stuff we're going to find out about here on the Fall Line with Chaos & Company. We are super excited to have you here, George. And I, I see that you're in the satellite studio, so you're at one of your other jobs.
0: I am, and I have a lot of them. <laughs> I'm in the uh, the uh, occupational and travel medicine clinic here in Hood River. Yeah,
1: I love Hood River when I've gone out there in the summer to, um, to uh, Mount Hood and we've done the summer camps. It's so cool. We, we definitely shoot down into Hood River. It's an amazing place. Uh, watching the sailing and the windsurfing and the kite surfing. It's just amazing.
0: You know, I dropped out of graduate school to teach skiing full time for a winter and was going to go back in the summer. And then I got offered a job coaching racing on Hood in the summer. And I was like, I can do this year round. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And yeah, I haven't been out there in a while, but we love it. We'd go down there and we'd, we'd get uh, the guys would go for ice cream. I'd get a l- little bit of uh, some sorbet and we'd hang out, and watch everything going on. There was really cool. It's a pretty, pretty place. So
0: gorgeous. And the sun is actually out for the first time in quite a while. I'm looking at blue sky and Mount Adams right across the river.
1: Jesus. And Angela, you're on the road. As I can and see, right. you're not in your colorful little studio at home.
2: And I'm yeah. in a uh, lovely state college, Pennsylvania. I'm going to do a, a member school training day tomorrow at Tussie mm. Mountain. Looking forward to that. You can see it right out the, right out the window. Yep. On the cool,
1: road. cool. Cool. That's super awesome. So, um, George, we, we always ask our guests and and I, um, you're a ski pro, you've also been a skier, I, I assume, for a while to be a level three. Um, how did you learn? Like, where was the first time? Was it with family? Was it with friends? Was it an organized lesson?
0: Family ski trip to Crested Butte, Colorado. I was 13 years old and I had Besser plate bindings on my boots and was all excited, stood up and fell down immediately and went through a week of a week's worth of group lessons. And with Bobby Gale, I mean, that's like 50 years ago. And I remember him so well. And I was like, wow, I want to be him someday.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, we, we look at that and like, do we remember our first ski instructor? Do you remember, Angelo?
2: Um. I, rem- I remember seeing a ski instructor named Mike Andrews from the, from the chairlift. Yeah. And I it had never really dawned on me to take lessons. But when Mike was kind of a, not kind of, Mike was like a legit hippie guy. And this was back in the late 80s. And I remember like being whatever, 15 or something with my bump rat friends. And we were all self-taught. But like, I remember seeing Mike ski under the chair. And I thought that guy like really knows, like he looks like he knows what he's doing. And that's what compelled me to start taking lessons but we were lucky uh-huh. our uh our ski club moderator in high school was a was a an associate member of psia he was a level two and um he took us out all the time and gave us free lessons uh-huh. so that, that's kind of how it evolved
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah that's super cool and what was your ski life growing up george was it um family kept going weekends or
0: yeah, we would take a ski trip every year and I just loved it. I really looked forward to that. That was the high point of the, my my year and I ran track and cross country and skiing was kind of right in between the two. And I really wanted to become an instructor and graduated college kind of in the transition between undergrad and grad school. And I just saw an ad at a Warren Miller weekend in uh, Corvallis, Oregon that hoodoo ski bowl was looking for instructors. And I thought they'll never hire me, but I want to go try out and just have the experience. And I was blown away to see my name on the little roster of people who had made it. And uh, yeah, that was in 1986. So I'm coming up on 40 years actually.
1: Yeah. Cool. And, and has, has it been going right along every single winter where some winners full time, all part-time
0: uh, actually, a number were full time. I yeah. really always looked at this a pro- as a profession. And um, it was hard hearing, you know, when are you going to get a real job and all that stuff. And it's <laughs> like, this is my real job. I love this. I really, truly enjoy it. Um, my, I got my associate, my okay. first year teaching, and then I got my level three the the next year full cert. And uh, Took the level three again in the early 2000s just to stay up to date and got that. Um, so, I don't think I could pass it now.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> just keep going to those updates. As long as you can do that update, you're all set. <laughs> pay the dues. Pay the dues. I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's definitely the way to go. And, and I know you're still teaching a little bit. I think it's um, at Mount Hood Meadows.
0: Yes. I go up there on Friday nights. I really love to teach skiing and I'm, I'm kidding. I, I am working on my divisional clinic leader. I'd really like to get that as a status. Um, but I do need to spend more time on the snow. I've had some major surgeries the last couple of winters and have not been able to ski that much. And I mean, my last five ish winters, I was full-time instructor and, um, was getting over a hundred days every year out and, um, but I'm, my body is also really taking a toll. You know, at the end of the season, um, I was getting cortisone shots in my knees and I just was not feeling great physically. So when I had the opportunity to take this job in Oregon and get back into healthcare, which I really enjoy, um, I had to jump at it and just go to teaching very part time. Yeah. And, and you do do a
1: lot of stuff. I mean, it's really cool. We're so excited to have you on where we know you do a, be a first year podcast for PSA ASI. But I mean, you also have your own media company, the over the top media. And I think you started that in like 2012, but there's multiple
0: things you do with that. Um, and can you tell us a little about that? We came up with a name. Uh, I always had really big parties at the end of the bicycle races that I direct And, um, because I really like an opportunity for people who have done something that hard to, uh, share it with each other because nobody at work is going to understand racing a bike for 500 miles nonstop. It's like, Oh, I can't do that in a car, Uh, but you're with people who can really appreciate what you just went through. So I really wanted to have a big celebration with the riders and the crews that had just done our event. And, um, Somebody came up and was like, My gosh, your parties are over the top. And I was (laughs) turning fifty at the time and I was like, I like over the top more than over the hill. So <laughs> that's what I made my company name.
1: <laughs> that is super cool. Cause has you been doing some stuff, even I think before that you were doing some, um, you know, you were doing stuff for the bike races and that, and you're, you're up there on the, on the podium at the end of the day and the end of the race and talking to all the athletes. Um, so were you doing some stuff before you started the over the top productions?
0: I, I actually was in radio. Yep. Uh, in the 80s. I loved radio. I never wanted people to be able to see my face, so I'm very shy on this production. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it, uh, I, I did, I just loved radio. I really liked yeah. being kind of that hidden voice. And so I had a morning drive. Uh, I was a morning drive DJ when I was in grad school. I was a uh, uh, newscaster. Um, also did the college radio station. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it, but it, it was kind of a weird industry. It didn't pay much at all. And people were always like recording themselves and looking to move on. And I really felt the dedication of the radio station where I worked and got back into school. And that just kind of fell apart as I, um, yeah, I'd work part-time in radio throughout, uh, the ski season and but it really didn't pay any bills <laughs> at yeah, yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um it's funny because I, I had some very serious health problems right after i passed my level three i really felt like i had gotten onto a trajectory i wanted to be on the northwest tech team and i mean my goal was to eventually try out for the the national team um but i had been hit by a car, gone headfirst through the windshield, um, should have been dead. I was getting on a motorcycle. A drunk driver hit me as I was getting on the motorcycle, but I had my full-face helmet and a leather jacket on. They were doing 45 to 55 miles an hour. I got thrown 160 feet. Um, it, was, it was bad. And yeah. uh, I developed seizures from the brain injury. And I'd been having these weird dizzy spells throughout the season. I was teaching and preparing for my, um, full cert level three. And, um, gosh, it was maybe a month after I passed, maybe not even that long. I fell over with a a full generalized seizure, but, uh, that ended up becoming a total blessing in disguise. (laughs) I, uh, went through absolute hell, but got onto a, a trial medication and they ended up making me their poster boy because I was teaching skiing again at Mount Hood and, uh, had done race across America, this nonstop coast to coast bike race, which nobody with seizures is, you know, it's like, no, there's flashing lights. You're under extreme sleep deprivation. But the med really was a miracle product for me. And, and, uh, they had me give a speech at the product launch to their sales force. And uh, the marketing team came up and they said, we're going to make you a star, which (laughs) they did not. But (laughs) a couple of years of being a uh, public speaker and they totally sponsored me through the 1995 race across America. And, you know, I wasn't a professional, but I was living on sponsor money and I got to do this race that had been my dream for so long. Solo. I'd done it on relay teams the the two years before. And uh I even ended up getting a book out of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Yeah.
1: And and if people don't know what the race across America is, it's it's like the real deal. It's like three thousand miles. I mean, I I've read some stuff that it's compared to being harder than the Tour de France, harder than the Iron Man, and I mean just a tough, tough race.
0: It's it's different. Um People that are great at race across America, Christoph Strasser, I mean, he could have raced professionally. There's no way I could have ever competed, you know, at national level, let alone as a pro. That was my dream. Obviously, I really wanted to be good on my bike, but, um, I just wasn't that good, but race across America is a real test of your endurance. And how bad do you want to finish? What are you willing to put yourself through? Because it is nonstop. The clock never stops when they say go and you start writing. You've got back in the day. uh, Now you have 12 days to finish and then they adjust it for uh, different categories. But back in the day, you had to finish within 48 hours of the winter. And, uh, I mean, it was a real race.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, it, it was, uh, I I remember every one I've done so well. And when they put me in the hall of fame in 2014, that was, that was pretty much a high point of my athletic career. And then race across the West, they brilliantly came up with in 2007. Um, and that is the first, first third of race across America. So yeah. the first year I did it, we went Oceanside to Taos and won that. And then I announced the finish and then I flew or officiated Ram all the way to the Ram finish. And then I announced the finish of Ram and I have announced the finish of Ram every year since uh, Seven of those years, I have raced raw race across the West and then gone to the finish and announced at Ram. So it's been, and I've done a lot of cycling podcasts and things in there and, um, It's really rewarding for me to be out on the course with the people that are doing RAM, even though I've been stopping at the, you know, the thousand mile mark, but to at least experience the mountains and the heat of the desert and experience some of what the people that are doing race across America are actually going through. And it's, I just love being the person to greet them at the finish. It's such a huge moment.
1: Yeah, uh, And I, 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 um, read in your book that you were talking about your sleep rhythms were like messed up for months afterwards until you could get back in, into rhythm. It was, it was cause, uh, cause the clock didn't stop. You were racing, you, you'd take a break, but what was it like maybe three hours of sleep and then back on it?
0: I am really weak in the heat. The people who are really good at sleep, maybe a half hour, huh. um, some can sleep a little bit more. I needed three hours. So I would take like a two hour break in the heat of the day. And then I'd take an hour nap at night.
1: Yeah, oh, man. Oh, man. That's is... Angela, I don't think we could do it, man.
0: <laughs> Dude, I can barely
2: yep. make it through one of these shows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jess and Stan took me on an 18 mile bike ride, and I'm like, my God, we're in the saddle for like four hours. I'm dying here. So,
0: believe me, that's how I feel now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but that that's pretty incredible, and and it was neat to read that you talked about it. It was it was a physical and an emotional roller coaster, and you, those are the things you had to really you know control because at times you felt good. And at times you didn't, you were talking about that when you when you did the tandem, which was pretty cool. Cause you've done it solo tandem and as a relay team.
0: Four person relay. We won in 93, um, I did it solo in 95 and they build it as the toughest race in the universe that yeah. year. And I saw somebody going on a tandem and I was like, wow, no, that is the toughest. <laughs> yeah. So I really made up my mind to do it on a tandem. Uh, which I did in 2000. And then again, in 2002, and no tandem has finished since. It's it's not just because you've got two bodies doing the whole thing on the same bike. But, uh, you know, people's sleep patterns are different. And on a tandem, you're only as fast as the slowest person. And it is brutal. It's so hard psychologically.
2: George, how do you push through the tough parts?
0: be ah. looking in the mirror and just think, you know, you're going to have to look back and realize you didn't make it. How are you really going to feel and how are you going to deal with that? And it's always kept me going. Ah.
1: And that must translate over into a lot, a lot of what you do, that mentality.
0: It, I'm super competitive, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not, I really, and I'm not kidding about this. I've especially announcing the finish when you see people finish and they've had a great race, it comes through no matter where they've finished. Um, people that have had a a bad experience, there's excuses and, uh, you know, you beat me, but we had this happen. And I mean, everybody has stuff go wrong and something like that. I mean, if stuff goes wrong in a hundred meter dash. It's there's always excuses out there. And what I what I really like and when I feel good going into an event uh, or teaching a lesson or like you said, anything I do, if I am prepared, if I've trained myself to the point where I've got the confidence to know that I could not have done anything more to do a better job and you beat me. I want to be able to walk up to you at the end and go, wow, Angelo, what a fantastic race. That's awesome. Good job. I don't want to give you an excuse. And if I feel I did my absolute best, I'm fine with you beating me. Um, If I didn't do everything I could to train as well as I should have or have my nutrition go off or things like that, I don't feel like that's even fair to you as my competition. I don't want to come up and say, well, here's the reason you beat me. I want to congratulate you because of the effort you made.
2: When you look back, can you remember the first time you really pushed yourself through something growing?
0: I do. (laughs) (laughs) I was like in first, second grade, and um, there was a 20-mile run in San Antonio, Texas, where I grew up. And uh, my dad was a weirdo who ran in the 60s. And so we were all weirdos too, Um, but we're in this 20 mile run and I'd gotten separated from my dad and I was just pushing and feeling lost. And I'm, you know, there's other runners out there and I started crying and just sat on a curb and my dad finally came by in a car and saw me and picked me up. And I kid you not, I'm like six, seven years old. I had done over nineteen miles. The finish was right around the next curve, and that has never left me. I oh. quit as a six year old, <laughs> wow, and the finish was right there, and oh my God, that really hurt and I mean it I remember it still wow, wow,
1: that's, that's pretty insane, <laughs> yeah that's stuck but it's like because it's, it's like i don't think and everything i've read all the all the uh, rams that you entered you finished right yep yeah i mean how how many
0: i've done race across america six times and race across the west seven times
1: <sighs> oh my god I mean, that's like uh that's just what th- like eighteen thousand miles just in the ram <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. And, and your prep for that wasn't just like on the bike. I mean, I've, I've read and I've heard you say in a couple of podcasts, you talked about your nutrition and I mean, when you were going to sleep and and you did say, and
0: you've already mentioned, you didn't like the heat you like, you love riding at night. Oh, that is, that's what attracted me to it at the beginning when I saw it on wide world of sports back in, I think it was 82. Um, and i saw these guys out racing at night i was just like oh my gosh that yeah. looks so cool and i love riding at night yeah. <laughs>
1: So what what was some of the best spots you were riding at night? Like I'm trying to think of like out there, you get your light on, but like if you're out there and uh, what was you describing, like going across Oklahoma or was it in the mountains? Like what was the easiest
0: to ride that's at night? Where, that's where it's awesome because you're not seeing the Oklahoma scenery. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, for me, it was the desert because yeah. the desert was my just Achilles okay. heel. It just killed me. And then to be able to, Uh, go down and and come up when the sun's coming or, you know, when the the moon's coming up and you just feel like a completely different person. It's amazing. Been 21, the heat, it didn't break at night. It stayed over a hundred. And I was doing a two person relay on race across the West. And oh my gosh, I, I had to go to the hospital ER and uh, they pumped me full of IVs and they were stunned when I got up and said, well, I'm heading back out onto the course. And they were like, no, you're not. And I said, yeah, I am. And I said, we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's another, you know, uh, ER and Prescott. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so- yeah. Wow. So, so how often do you do your um, uh, podcast
0: for cycling? Like, is it a weekly, monthly, or do they sporadic or... That has become very sporadic, which is sad. And I'm talking to Oregon Bike Racing Obra, uh, the Oregon Bike Racing Association. And uh, we are planning to do a podcast together. And I just need to have the time to do it. I do another podcast for Boulder Ballet, Raising the Bar, which is totally fun. Um, But cycling is how I started podcasting. I heard someone had a, a bike show and I was like, wow, I live in in boulder colorado and there's all these professionals around here i'm gonna start doing this and uh, it was really cool i did some really fun shows uh ian boswell who uh, started out here in oregon as a junior i was able to connect with him and i followed him on stages through the tour of california and then as he made it on to uh into the professional ranks and was racing for team sky. We were doing daily check-ins from the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta a España. Um, And I mean, they're quick little six to eight minute. Hey, what was it like for you today? And some of those were the coolest interviews I've ever gotten. I mean, here's Ian. Who's not a, you know, he wasn't the team leader. He's a domestique. So he's an assistant to help the leader, but he found himself up. I think he was in third place on one of the most, the toughest climbs in the Vuelta and his team director comes up next to him in the car. And he's like, all right, Ian, this is your time. I want you to go. And I was like, God, what was, and I actually got chills thinking about it. What was that like for you? I mean, that might not have been fun at all. He goes, no, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's this massive climb ahead of me and the director says, go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, that, that is cool. Though. And I know that, um, I mean, riding like you have, it's got to be pretty easy talking to those kind of athletes because, I mean, you've been through the pain. As you said, you know, and, and had to work through, you know, Angelo's like, what's the hardest? And he's like, when he was six, Angelo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to hear that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there, but there's a sort of empathy that you know what it's taken to get there. That, that's got to help out in that conversation.
0: In that sport, for sure. And I think where I actually built a real following with the cycling was I just It was, uh, it was back when drugs were the hot topic and I was just like, look, I'm not going to surprise you with any stupid questions about that. I want to know what's going on with you personally and Mm -hmm. let's just keep it to that. And I was really, I gained so much access to professional ranks. It was great. I loved it, Um, but it was a very expensive hobby.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was kind of asking. It was like, like, uh, what were you riding for bikes then? And what are you riding for bikes now?
0: Um, I actually have always done pretty well. I actually quit looking for sponsorship when I reached a certain age. Cause I was like, I don't want to go to a company and ask them to fund my fund. Yeah. I just, I, I just am not comfortable doing that. And so I really work. Hard to try to raise money or cut costs where I can and that's what I do. Yeah. So how many bikes I did have you a beautiful Girard, full Campanolo, uh 12 speed. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bike company out of uh Kirkland, Washington. <laughs> yeah.
1: So so when you did like the race across America, what did you have? Because I know you had a whole team and you know, support team and that, like when you did it solo like how many bikes did you have to have and what kind of services did you have for your mechanic working on it?
0: I just had three bikes. bikes uh, I was yeah. sponsored by Surata, and yeah. they gave me a titanium uh, bicycle to, to race on. And um, it was, I ended up giving that to the uh, epilepsy foundation of Boston and they sold it off as a fundraiser. And uh, the guy who wrote the forward of my book actually bought it. Yeah. And that all went to the um, Epilepsy Foundation, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, but having the mechanic and bringing parts, I never have overpacked, but I said, I basically need enough stuff that we can have to rebuild a bike if you know things go wrong, because I really don't want to have a broken, weird part be the reason we have to stop. Yeah. And that was really nice. Those were sponsorships I was really comfortable asking for because... It was like may we please take this equipment and then anything we use i'll pay for it yeah
1: and and you've done some great things for with not uh, for folks to learn about epilepsy and um that race across the west um in oregon you i think it's still going on and how many years is it now 20 something
0: so that, I think we started it in 1996. Oh, I think I told you 26 years. This is 28 years. Yeah. Um, and it's, so when Race Across America started, it started as the Great American Bike Race and it was on the wide world of sports. And all these crazies saw this event and came out of the woodwork and were like, hey, I want to do that. And people were not ready. <laughs> so they came up with a qualification system And, uh, I had been thinking how I would like to give back to the sport by putting on a a race across America, a Ram qualifier. And I came up with a race across Oregon, started at the Idaho border, Oregon, Idaho border and finished at the coast. And, um, they said, great, let's do it. And, uh, we ended up getting a ton of coverage that year and the, uh, Oregonian newspaper and people were calling me going, Hey, when's the race next year? And I was like, Oh, oh, (laughs) I didn't really want to be a race director, but okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I've done it every year except COVID. uh, no, we actually did it during COVID. I was the first, uh, ultra event to get a permit to race during COVID year. And, uh, we had, I had to cancel a couple of races that I put on earlier than that, but I really wanted race across Oregon to keep going. And I had to submit my plans to a medical board and give all my rules that there were no stop zones. We would do this, follow this protocol when people had to stop and go into a store and, uh, they, I got my permit.
1: Super cool. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Really awesome um and then and what's next because i mean i know you're still biking a couple of days you said you're doing some bike classes at 5 30 a.m at the at the indoor I
0: go to work. yeah <laughs> and so, i was so proud this morning uh, one of the participants came up and said wow tuesday was the hardest class i'd ever done until this morning <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So to tell us a little bit, what, what's a class like? What's, what was that hardest class like until today? What was Tuesday like? It was ladders. It was a minute on minute off, two minutes on one minute off, three minutes on one minute off, four minutes on one minute off, and then back down to one and then back up to four and back down. But like last Thursday, we did a minute on minute off, two minutes on minute off three, all the way up to 10 and then back down. Um, our town was just snowed in and we had some extra time and I had some, uh, people there that were like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) it It was a workout I called the kitchen sink and we did, uh, just a whole variety of different, uh, drills on the bike where, you know, all out. And when I say all out, I mean, you got nothing at the end of 40 seconds and then you got 20 seconds to recover and you do it again. Um, And then follow that up with maybe a minute or two minutes rest and do a four minute uh, sweet spot interval and then stand for 15 seconds. Awesome. Now let's increase the resistance by one and keep standing. And now let's increase the resistance by one again. Now sit down and keep that resistance. (laughs) Oh my God. Did you,
2: did you have an over the top party for them after that workout?
0: (laughs) No, but we're all planning to start doing some outdoor rides. Um, when summer gets here and we'll still do the indoor class, but it would be fun to really get together with the regulars and Cause I'll play chase around town. I mean, I know the routes around here really well and I'll look at my clock and it's like, Oh, we're 10 minutes in. And if we're following this route, we're going to be on this very easy uh, seated climb. That's got some hairpins in it. And I can tell the residents exactly where we are, you know, and now we're on this 14% pitch and <laughs> And now Dave's excited and he's got to attack and Angelo has to chase him. And now we're going.
1: <laughs> I don't know, Angelo, man. I think we'd die, die in the first five minutes.
2: Glad I'm in Pennsylvania for that. <laughs> hey,
1: we, we just got to make sure we go out there when it's good snow and he doesn't want to get us on the bikes. So we can just go skiing. <laughs> right.
0: Hard oh, thing for me is I've had these health issues and gnarly surgeries that make me not want to sit on a bike seat very much. Yeah. Um, but I've had some really bad injuries from, uh, a car accident and then getting hit by a deer when I was descending a mountain pass, uh, back in 2012. Um, sorry, 2014. Um, but I grew up as a runner, like I said, mm. and because of the, the injuries I received, I, I really had, had a lot of hard times running, but I thought, you know, if you're not going to be on the bike, you can run shorter distances and work on your speed. And I'm 61 years old right now. And my goal is to, um, break 20 minutes in a 5k. Wow. And, For my age group that would be pretty good and i mean i was it's kind of like skiing and everything i've done i've i've been okay but never as never great you know it takes a lot of work to get to your level three but i really wanted to be on the tech team and drop for the national team and i never got there um Mm -hmm. with cycling i really wanted to hit national level and see what I, how I could do if I tried pro and just not that good. Um, and with running, I was like a division three recruit. I was a 16 minute 5k runner in high school, but I just couldn't get any faster. And I thought, yeah, as I'm going out, I can train at intervals. Um, and not hurt myself and I can really work on speed. What I can't do is run for, you know, 45 minutes. And I thought, so do what you can do and see if you can do it really well. And I'm getting my, uh, my interval pace is down under six minutes a mile. <sighs> and um, you know, that's good. I wanna push myself to go too fast when I'm doing 200s, 400s, and 600s, so that when I finally get up to racing a 5K at the pace I want, I can slow down to a, a 620 mile and and have a shot at it, 615.
1: <laughs> um there's a lot of goal setting, man. He, he's a goal setter, Angelo. There's always goals and some little short-term objectives in there, but he's got an end goal I and mean, there's always has to be a goal there, not just, I'm I mean, I think, su- I think, I think, the, oh, go ahead. I feel, I'm feeling super inferior right now. I know. I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm, just, I'm sitting here like in this hotel room with this bag of m ms <laughs> And I'm like looking at it going, I'm going to throw that away when it's so.
0: You know what my name is online and like uh, when I'm playing Scrabble or things like that, I'm the skinny hippo because I would love to be fat. (laughs) (laughs) I love treats and I love to eat, but I just, I really (laughs) have these things that I want to do, want to achieve. And I've never been an age group kind of guy, but at this age, it's like you know your body changes, and yeah. you do change as you get older, and I do have limitations from injuries and from aging, and it's like, no, I want to be the best I can be, and focusing on shorter distances with running is is where I can do that That's george if cool. you
2: if you want to be fat, but we're going to get you on our plan. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll send him some starburst jelly beans we'll have him hang out with paul paul will teach him
0: he paul loves treats
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna email you
2: a workout album. <laughs> I, I
0: gotta tell you i mean that to me like i loved being in radio i really liked it and when i saw podcasts come up it was like oh my gosh what an awesome opportunity to get it back into this and so now to be able to do interviews with people on the national team and go to interski and, um, really have some amazing life experiences because of my voice and interview skills. It's like, that was hard for me at first. It was like, no, I wanted to make it as a skier. And it's like, but you're really getting some great involvement and doing more than I ever could have as a skier by doing the podcast. And interviewing these really amazing skiers and with just this incredible knowledge and to be able to provide the venue for them to get that out to the membership, that is really rewarding. And I love it.
1: Yeah, I, I love the stuff you did at Interski because it, it wasn't just the national team members. Was a lot of the, you had some of our delegation that sat down with you and, and you really got what their experience was. out. I thought the questions and the way you drew out their experience was really cool.
0: Oh my gosh. ski was so much fun. And I was only on snow two to three days. We got 31 interviews. I actually had a studio Damn. set up on a table at a bar in the hotel and had made, I interviewed the bartender. <laughs> but they, they were like, that is your spot. And we had mixing, board. I had everything set up on this table and was just in there for hours and people were coming in. It was awesome. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Did you have something, Angel? No, I, I've been
2: ready to say that I your attitude is amazing, George. And I think mm. you've said the word love yeah. in this episode about the things you do more than anybody has said it in our previous 83 episodes and that's wow. that's amazing i like get you' it just it just kind of pours out of you, your enthusiasm it's really yeah. cool it's, it's infectious
1: thank you yeah thank you and, and yeah, i think and you,
2: now and now we have to go on a diet because of it yeah we gotta go on a
1: diet because george he's he's, he's just you know making us feel like we have to uh. <laughs> but but it, your your enthusiasm and, and like when you're interviewing someone, I think they they absolutely can feel that and they're they know that you're very interested in what they have to say. I think that's one of the cool things when I listen to you interviewing people. I mean, you're definitely interested in finding out what they are
0: going to say. It's I love that you brought that. I said love again. Whoops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really like that you brought that up. <laughs> Because people ask, you know, what questions are you going to ask? And when I started this and when I was in news, you know, I would let people know what the questions were going to be. And say I was interviewing you and you would say something and I'd go, oh, my gosh, what you just brought up is so much more interesting than what I have written down. But because we're going to stick to the questions. And so I just changed it. And I was like, no, I want to do a fireside chat with people and just. Find out about them, and I can be the guide, but I'm going to let what you bring up kind of guide me. Um, and if if we're doing an interview that we really need to get across some key points, then I want to know what those key points are. But I want to find out about you. I, I heard this at, a, at a, a symposium discussion in the Northwest a few years ago, but the speaker said listen to remember rather than respond. And that's really hard when you're an interviewer <laughs> because you want to, I mean, our job is to respond, but when I really found myself listening to my guest and building the interview around what they were saying, I really felt like the quality went way up.
1: Yeah. That's cool. And, and you, you love that, that short fireside chat or the, the, you know, the, the shorter kind of interviews. Does that just come from back when you were doing a lot of the interviews with the bike stuff and that, cause they were six, seven minutes or.
0: Partially. I, wow. um, I actually met Steven Nyman at a bike ride in Netherland, Colorado, and we really hit it off and I followed him as through his race season. And, uh, we were doing a regular sh- weekly show. It was really cool. And I started doing a show for, um, uh, the ski racing association and, um, I was sad that just kind of fell apart, but I had a lot of interviews with a lot of the top ski racers from all around the world, um, during this. And I started watching the, uh, the hits on the pro the, uh, uh, where I was posting the podcast and you could see, you know, my listenership would be huge. And then at about 15 to 20 minutes, people start to drop. Yeah. And I thought if I want to ever make money with this, I want to be able to go in and say, look, we're going to hit your product here at the start. We can give you a quick little mention again in the middle and then I want you at the pot, at the uh, finish, and there were some guests where you'd have a, a big listenership right at the beginning, and it would drop off in five minutes. But Stephen had a, a great following, and he's one of the few I had a hundred percent listenership all the way through. But twenty minutes really seemed like the max for listenership with most of those, and so when I came up with the idea of doing a, a ski-related show with an instructor. Um that's what I really wanted to keep it at that that length and yeah. I I changed my hour interviews on in the cycling show to 20 minutes. <laughs> and I mean we were getting over 80,000 downloads a month. It was pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um but, again, it was just a, a very time-consuming hobby that was really a full-time job. Yeah. So, so I got
1: to ask you, when, when you first started, like when you go, hey, I'm going to do a couple podcasts, what did you have for equipment? Because I know Angela and I, we had our little laptops. I was sitting in the kitchen table. He was sitting in the bedroom with a table in one of the bedrooms at his house. You know, and that's all we had, Zoom. With Jake in the corner, choking, yeah, on the choking yeah, Jake in the corner
0: for <laughs> <corner>. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jake started snoring on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I had a condenser mic. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, ooh, this thing's cool. And yep. then I found out that, oh, just the that microphone, you have the mixing board inside the mic, and it may look really cool, but it's not that good. So now what I like when I was at uh, Levy and when I go to team training. I use a really inexpensive sure, um, yeah, just full-on mic because it's so directional. And then, but I have a good quality mixing board with my laptop. Um, but I really like having background noise if we're like out in a bar or whatever. Yeah. But I don't want that background noise to overwhelm what's coming across. So yeah, um, I have a, a very nice little mobile setup, and then um, uh. A nice setup at, at the house yeah very yeah. nice setup
1: yep. yeah I, f- I figure it's a little better setup now <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, and much different <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: it is that's pretty cool and and so you're gonna get back a little you were talking about get into the cycling podcast a little bit more hopefully
0: with obra yeah i really want that to happen this year that is yeah. cool.
1: That'd be super, super cool. I'd, I'd love to, listen to that. And um, what what else is is on there that we haven't talked about? There's got to be. I mean, the way you set things, I'm going to do this. What we'll it is? There's got to be some things out there you haven't told us that you're like looking to do, other than the break the, the running milestone. Well,
0: it's, it's funny, ballet. I absolutely love performing. I was in uh, community theater when I, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was Willy Wonka. Uh, and, um, I had seen the nutcracker when I was a kid. And my favorite character was this crazy looking thing that comes out called mother ginger. And she's usually played by a guy, John stilts. And, uh, when my daughter was in Boulder ballet, the role of mother ginger came open and they were like, Hey, you ski, would you be afraid to walk on stilts? And I was terrified to walk on stilts, but I was like, Of course not. I would love to do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. oh. So I put two balance bar, you know, two bars together and was on stilts so that now I can hop back and backwards on them. I can I dance on stilts with a hundred-pound costume on. This was my fifth year of being Mother Ginger. And, uh, they've expanded my role. I'm in, uh, act one as a Butler in the party scene. And now I'm taking uh weekly ballet lessons and I've worked bar routines into my post cycling <laughs> at the gym. I do bar work five days a week and it is incredible what that does to your ladies.
1: Oh, man. And it's
0: awesome for balance. <laughs> yeah. Um, But it looks like I've got a shot at being in the uh, spring production in 2025, which we were just talking about, and um, hopefully Mother Ginger for as long as uh, they're there, because it's I have so much fun doing that. It's a uh, crazy costume. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's much that George Thomas
1: does that he doesn't love to do. I mean, it, it looks like you, you love to have fun. I mean, that's few of the people I spoke to. It's like, yeah, George is, he likes to have some fun, very colorful guy. I mean, that's well, going to be something.
2: Hey George, I'm remembering your costume from yes. fall, fall team training. <laughs> Oh yes! <laughs> tell, so, Dave, tell Dave what you had on there.
0: Um, I taught a women's program class at Eldora, and uh, a multi-time class participant ran a runs a a nonprofit called the Inland Ocean Coalition. And every year she would do the mermaid masquerade ball, and COVID changed that. And she said, "I need to have some merman do like a, a strip tease on, on film." And so I was in full ski garb and end up in my my merman outfit with a fishtail. <laughs> and uh, goes, yeah. Now we want you. We want you back at the party next year at the ball. And I want you in your mermaid outfit or your merman outfit to walk around and serve drinks. And I'm like, uh, no, I am not walking around as a merman (laughs) in a (laughs) fishtail with no shirt. So I came up with this idea. She had no clue I was doing it, but I got, uh, I went to Boulder Ballet. (laughs) And my top half, I have uh, tux with tails, bow tie. And make up my face a little bit to look like a penguin. Yeah. And then I have the fishtail on the bottom. <laughs> and they, I showed up in that outfit and they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mergwin now goes back.
1: <laughs> oh man, Goes
0: back to the Inland Ocean Coalition every year to serve drinks and <laughs> get raffle tickets and things like that. <laughs> and I happen to have my Mergwin suit in the back of my car. And it was, you know, the last weekend of October. And I was like, why well, should be wearing a Halloween costume? So I went out and, and put on my Mergwin outfit, and um, I think made a lot of people uncomfortable. But Eliza Coons really liked it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know Angelo did because he was telling me about it. Oh my god, that's so But it, it's super cool just to see somebody having fun. And and I do your interviews, I think you when you're asking questions, you can tell you really wanna know what people think and, and, and what they experience. And so I wanna ask you, I mean, you were at Interski. and, and what was your experience? whether it be a session you went to or did, what was the experience interviewing the folks cuz the the energy at inner ski even when you weren't there if you were watching it and watching the the streaming of different stuff and I could watch the ski hill with the webcam I mean it was just a ton of energy what was it like to to be that person there kind of reporting on it and and getting all the vibe of what those people were experiencing
0: that was amazing and what you just described was even more amazing than actually being in finland it was it was the people that just made that it was incredible and i've got to say talk about enthusiasm to go out and be on the hill in the group with josh fogg and um dusty dyer who were teaching people skills and it was incredible what they came up with. And I was blown away. I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys came up with the best way to show this. And it made me so excited. I, just to come back, I wanted to, to teach that in a clinic at Meadows. And unfortunately, didn't have the opportunity. But, it, I mean, it really made me want to get out on the hill and teach this stuff because they did such an amazing job with it. Um, I would say a close second was being out with Emily Lovitz group on uh nordic because i didn't have any nordic skis and so i was like wow i've got all my gear and i got to run so i was out just hoofing it while they were on their skis and trying to stay up with the group that was a that was a riot <laughs> but to actually be there and get to sit in and listen to the lectures and i mean what an incredible learning opportunity and an incredible setting with the best in the world was just, it was amazing.
1: Yeah. Super cool. And, And, um, it's been great that you came on. I mean, it's really neat. A lot of the podcast stuff for us, for Angela, I know. We just wanted to to share, get time to talk with people. People ask me all the time. I know they ask Angela, you know, what do we, what do we get out of this? Because, you know, the podcast, we get so much money. <laughs> and, you, know, you make a fortune. Yeah. Um, buying all I the have, stuff, the mics and everything. <laughs> you're,
2: getting, you're getting paid?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I got those. I got Starburst jelly beans. That's what I got paid, man. So it's,
2: I must need an agent. Yeah.
1: But, but it's, it's kind of that it's, it's the chatting and getting the experience, you know, sitting down with Michael or Robin or Ellen to um listen to what their experiences were. And, and a lot of people don't get that. So it's kind of neat. And that was, I think was the greatest thing with everything that was streamed. And then your podcast where you had the people in the bar, you had the whole setup there and we're chatting with people. That was really the connection for a lot of folks that weren't at Innerski. Um,
0: you know, what blew me away was a lady from Sweden comes up and she goes, I listened to your show. Yeah. I'm so happy to meet you. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily I spoke with a uh, back after 95 Ram, uh, the guy who produced the film that they had made about it um, and news clips and things like that. Um, he said, would you stop being so modest? And I was like, I can't because <laughs> if someone comes up and says they want your autograph, how would you feel if you walked up to Angelo and said, Angelo, I want your autograph. And Angelo said, no, you don't. Which is my, he's like, why? (laughs) So to have someone come up who listens to the show, I was glad I had had that advice because it was really good advice. Because of course my first reaction was, you gotta be kidding me. Instead with this person, I was like, wow, thank you so much. I would like to have you on the show. And hear about your experience at Innerski. And she was one of our guests.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, before we finish up i want to make sure folks know your your book that kind of documents the it was the 1995 ride i believe when you did solo of um ram the race across america is uh going the distance and um i read a little bit so far it's super cool to to read through what it was like doing that because i won't be doing it (laughs) i don't think angelo will either no not in the condition you're in now But um, I, I think it'd be a great book for for people to look at to to see just the determination and and as you s- talk about in there and, and every single one you finish, which is pretty impressive. Because I mean, you you probably know. I mean, if I ask you, like, how many people don't make it? There's got to be quite a few that don't finish.
0: Over fifty yeah. percent.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's twenty twenty one. When I was telling you, when the heat was so bad, uh, the finish rate was. Oh gosh, like three solos made it. It was so hard. Uh, the heat all the way across the country was just brutal. I, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was 75 to 80% dropout.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's that uh, pretty crazy. And and just it's really neat in there to to read through. Um and then and in your story. I mean, so much of it where you were coming out there and being the poster boy, as you said, for the the company there that has the miracle drug for you that um you've been doing well for years and decades now, right? I have not had a seizure
0: since uh October of eighty
1: nine. That's awesome. That is super cool. And, and, and uh, just the amount of people you've touched through that and, and through the vehicle of biking and, and doing those things, I must be amazing how many people you've you've educated or the knowledge out there and be able to raise the funds um, through the Oregon race. is just must be, I mean, 28 years, you said now.
0: It is really crazy to still get emails from, I mean, that book is hard to find now. I'm actually need to get the motivation to add some more chapters <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> and yeah. ask to rewrite it. And um, again, I'm just like, if I was any good, somebody else would write the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it really is. It's so meaningful and powerful to have, to get an email from someone who's like, wow, this really touched me because I've, I'm dealing with seizures and yeah. to see that you've made it and had a successful life is is really meaningful to me, and yeah. to get something like that, it, it's kind of mind blowing.
1: Yeah, that's pretty, that's super cool and humbling. I imagine absolutely great, and um, and that's why it's cool. I mean, these are some of the funnest parts that I have with the podcast, where I don't know some things about folks, and as we get towards the podcast, or we find out through it of of the amazing things that different people do out there. And it's super amazing at the accomplishments you've had through biking and, and the races and, and the knowledge you put out there, which is super cool. And obviously the stuff you're doing with PSI, ASI with the podcast day of the first year is cool. And uh, I'm looking forward. I want to listen to the, uh, the bike one, when you get it rolling again, uh, that'll be super cool to listen to because um, I can listen to it and not kill myself going out there and training with you. Cause if we get in his bike class, Angelo, we're done for, we might not ski that year.
2: <laughs> There's 0% chance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I'll tell you last, the uh, last Thursday, hard workout. And then I ran on the treadmill for 30 minutes, which was really an effort for me. And then to teach the next night, my class kicked my rear <laughs> it was like oh my, God, yeah. my legs are dead
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's super cool. And that's why we want to thank the friends of the, of the fall line with chaos and company. I mean, Blizzard Technica is super supportive of us and helping us keep this going and, uh, Nick's boot fitting over by Mount Snow. Go over and visit Nick and make sure you get all your boots done and set up right so you can perform well out there. And then rollerblade during the summer, man, you got to get on something and get on the bikes too. But rollerblade is absolutely helping us out. And uh, we just like to thank all them. And we've got some super friends out there, Angelo, too. Some great fans as of mm-hmm. the the podcast and want to just put a shout out there to the professor dave berger um he's one of our super fans and been a super supporter and we can't thank him enough
2: yep absolutely thank you dave yeah
1: thanks a lot and uh george thomas Thanks so much for joining us. I, I hope you come back. Um, I think it's super fun for all of us that are doing these kind of things. Definitely with a professional yourself, it's super awesome to have you on here with us with Angela and I, and um, you know, so many little podcasts are going on. Hopefully we can encourage people to get out there and share and give it a shot. Cause so many are nervous to like record that first time. And what am I going to sound like? And unfortunately, all of us don't have that great George Thomas voice. Mm. <laughs>
2: No most of us sound like we do.
1: Yeah, I know. It I mean that's definitely an advantage you have. I mean you gotta you gotta admit that, George. You gotta admit that. <laughs>
2: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, correct. correct,
1: David. Thank you. For bringing that yeah, <laughs> absolutely correct. But uh, thanks a lot for joining us, and hopefully, we can chat some more because it's always a pleasure listening, and it's always, a, and now it's definitely a pleasure. It's been awesome to meet you here. Hopefully, I'll meet you in person, and maybe we'll have an in person some chats together. That'd be pretty cool. But that would uh, be fantastic. thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. This has been the Fall Line with Chaos and Company.
2: Thank you, George. Thank you. Yeah.